Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. Hello, Matt. Well, hello there, Spanners. How are things across the pond with you? Sunny and fine. That's as much enthusiasm as I can give you. Uh, that's fair enough. It's It's been sunny, but not quite as warm as you'd expect over here. Awesome. Well, we could talk about the weather, but that would be far too British. So to not alienate the non-British audience, we should talk about some F1 news. And boy, there really is some. I mean, Red Bull have come out all guns blazing. There's been news from Imola. We've got the track reprofiling at uh, Barcelona to talk about. And we're going to have an argument about pit stops too. I'm going to argue that we should have a minimum pit stop time. And I'm going to try not to laugh. Aw, mean. All right. Well, I should remind you guys first that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by Kyle Edgy Power. How's it going, Kyle? Very well, thank you, Spanners. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into a, a new show, especially with my new goth appearance. Yeah, uh, the audio <laughs> listeners won't know, but Kyle looks like he could power several solar generators. We've got a little bit of a setting wrong, so apologies to the video audience. But um, how have you found the, the season so far? I mean, you are, I, I dread to say it out loud, you're at least Ferrari sympathetic, a Ferrari apologist. I am. I want to see Ferrari in the mix because <laughs> they've got some fantastic drivers and who doesn't want to see more fantastic drivers fighting for the win? But I'm stoked. I'm buzzing from for the 
two opening Grand Prix of the season. I think I've spent a collective 50% on the sofa throughout both the uh, yeah. both of the two races. I've been standing up the whole time, <laughs> so it's been good exercise as well. Yeah, man. Out of two races, I have been told off two times in the house, and I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm not popular with the neighbours. So uh, from a Ferrari point of view, obviously last season they were like really floundering, like sixth, seventh. It was horrible. But now I think it's fair to say they're genuinely fighting McLaren for best of the rest. And I, I know that doesn't seem like praise or damning with faint praise, but it's progress. Yeah, it's praise enough that they've made a huge step forward from last year. That's pretty obvious. They are still lacking in the motor department somewhat. They looked like they were quite vulnerable on the straights and similar, but it's a big step forward with the chassis. They're very good in low speed corners um, and they can only go forward from here. So it's what we wanted to see. We wanted to see them take an incremental step towards the front. So hopefully next year, well, and throughout this year, they managed to get their engines on par with everyone else before the engine freeze. And we're also joined uh, by a Netherlands resident, Jules Sagers. How's it going, Jules? Hi, Spence. Going fine. Thanks. When you admitted that as a Dutch man, you did not support uh, Max Verstappen, we did get a comment on the YouTube that said, Jules Sagers does not speak for us. <laughs> well, it's it's not the same as saying I dislike Max Verstappen, absolutely not. Um, I'm just trying to keep a slightly more objective uh, view <laughs> on him uh, than most other Dutchies, I guess. Fair enough. There's your panel, Matt Trumpets, Jules Sagers, Kyle Power, and me. I'm Spanners. Hi. Uh, let's talk about F1 and talk about what is the... Big Dirty News. Well, we've got to start with Red Bull, haven't we, Matt? They did not come here to play. They are not messing around. They've got a top man from the Mercedes setup. What's going on? Well, what they've done is they've gone and done that thing that all Formula One teams do when they want to beat beat their rivals thoroughly, like a gong, if you will, is they went and hired someone who worked for them so they'd know all the secrets. And in this case, they've hired Ben Hodgkinson from uh, Mercedes HPP, which makes the power units, to assist them with, as you know, they're going to be making their very own power units moving forward from the 2022 season. Oh, right. Okay. So who's this fellow again? Uh, he he is um, he works for Mercedes now or did work for Mercedes. He's head of, oh, let's see, mechanics or mechanical power, I believe. Um, he's worked for Ilmore. He's uh, been a development director at Bricksworth as well. And uh, I think the only fly in the ointment for them is that he's not really going to be able to start working for them till the end of the 22 season. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, Kyle, you work for an engineering firm. I've spent a lot of my, my time in, in a defense engineering as well. You you know the way that I think Mercedes operate is probably in departments and there's a lot of engineering meetings. So even if you're not like the man who conceived the engine, you're in those meetings, you're in those socials, you're in that coffee area. Absolutely. I think this is a huge scalp for Red Bull to grab. So he's actually been working for the Mercedes high performance powertrains for almost 20 years and is one of the heads of the engineering department. He knows all those secrets. He knows the infrastructure, how they work and some of the technology. So Red Bull scalped him and apparently his, his, um, 
He's been instantly put on gardening gardening leave, which which you can totally understand why Mercedes <laughs> yeah. have done that. They have to try to protect some of their yeah. secrets. But rather more worrying for Mercedes, it's, it's come out, there was a story just run, that apparently he's been trying to convince other members to move with him. <gasps> and I think Red Bull have been doing a bit of a carrot dangle and trying to convince some staff to move over to them. Because apparently Ferrari tried to do this a couple of years ago with the Mercedes staff and they were reluctant to move over because it meant relocating to Italy. Yes, of course. Now Red Bull is setting up this new engine facility in the UK. So it might be somewhat more appealing for them to do this. So this might be opening the doors for Mercedes and I'm pretty sure they're going to be quite upset about it. Uh, Matt, can you just explain some of the terminology? Because there's people saying, well, okay, he's the engineering manager for HPP. You mentioned uh, Ilmore. And, of course, Brackley is where the team is based. Can we just do a quick kind of primer on, on those terms? Uh, so, Ilmore is an engineering company um, who um, had, uh, who became, I think, HPP. Mercedes acquired them. And the founder of that actually went on to work with Red Bull in the 2015s, allegedly, rumoredly. Uh, trying to help Renault with their woeful uh, power unit. Um, so it's all the same thing. Brackley, right. HPP, okay. Ilmore, I believe are all referring to the same thing. He's played a variety of different roles and as much information as he's bringing about the engineering, as we've also often talked about, it might also be that he's bringing a lot of information about their management structure yeah. and how they handle things which should also prove very useful to them yeah and i suppose carl like there's a kind of growing sense that red bull are on the rise again and that this project is exciting and special it, it could be that thing that that draws a wave of like you know assistant managers in each department to come and take their knowledge and take that next step up and be a manager you know because sometimes it is a bit dead man's shoes in those organizations. So yeah, this could be a real thing for like 2022, 23, 24. Oh, absolutely. So my understanding is, he's not going to um, actually start working now to the end of 2022, but there is an engine freeze. What is primarily going to be focused on is the um, 2025 going on development, whatever that may be at the moment, they haven't finalized the rules. Right. The major thing is they don't actually have any engine engine people really so they need to set this facility up and they need the knowledge to actually carry on producing this season's technology in the engine that they're going to buy the ip from from honda but he's going he knows all of the secrets to the mercedes engine so moving forward so he, he can't unlearn that so it's a huge huge and it's a huge scout for them and it just really shows that they really yeah. mean business in this and hopefully they'll be a force to be reckoned with in the future okay so matt someone in the chat room who i I know we should definitely listen to says Mercedes bought the F1 element of Ilmore and Ilmore still continues in its own right. But I think one of the elements here as well is the Japanese contingent of Honda uh, and what's happening to them. There'll still be a big Japanese contingent. Will there? Well, they are trying to convince they, they would happily purchase everybody's contract. Who's currently working, currently working on the, on the Honda power plant just to move with them into the future. And uh, the name I was searching for earlier working with Red Bull was Mario Ilian, who was the founder of Ilmore. And as you state, Mercedes bought the Formula One right, component okay. of that. Huh. Why it's not the biggest deal uh, for 2022 
is because Honda has already agreed to put together the engine because they're switching, remember, from E5 to E10 fuel. And I know you remember that and you were about to call me out on it, but they're going to redesign the engine to work on that fuel. <laughs> so they're not going to need somebody sort of in the saddle riding herd on this project till the end of 2022. All right. Well, I think that's about that for that story, but interesting developments and certainly just interesting to see the ambition, I think, of those hires, Matt. Um, where do we want to go to next? Oh, oh, Kyle, you, you want to last in on that? Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting the next few months to see if Red Bull can indeed encourage any more people from within inside Mercedes to jump ship and move over to them. Because if they do, they're not only hurting because those two people would then have to be put on gardening leave. So they're not only yes. stealing the people, but they're also hurting Mercedes' potential development leading up to the engine freeze as well. So it's like a double whammy. Yeah, I mean, Mercedes have got 14,000 people. They'll, they'll probably, they'll probably be, be okay. I'm sure they'll be fine. But interesting to see if someone else can come up to that level. Now, uh, we have a little bit of gossip, don't we? Okay, so this is a missed Apex Understands moment. I think this is reasonably big. So to start with, Matt, we need to be clear. We are no one. We know nothing. Repeat after me. We are nothing. We no one know. But you deliberately said right? it wrong to irk me. Oh, but look, we, you right. and me, we're not, we're, you're a trumpet player. I'm a, I'm a hacky weekend DJ doing podcasts from a shed. So... We never claim any kind of real inside knowledge. However, over the years, it has been lovely that people in teams have reached out to us and gone like, we just, we like the show, we like the podcast, we listen, and they will occasionally, you know, chuck us bananas. And it's not normally, you know, oh, here's the leaked engine specs that you can publish on Twitter. It's usually more like, oh, here's a thing that's about to be published, but here's a bit of a heads up so you get to sound smart and clever. Yeah, every now and then the WhatsApp goes off and someone has a tale yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's reasonably plausible and from a source that we like, even if they're not always 100% correct. Because, you know, at the end of the yeah. day, it's a, a lot of guesswork <laughs> and deduction goes on. Yeah. Figuring out the moving pieces behind the uh, of the puzzle. So all we can do is tell you what we've been told and how highly we rate the source. That's That's all we can do and just be honest with you guys. We're never really making any claims. So... Once again, we are no one, we know nothing. But what is really interesting is that we got very, very specific word from a, a source we rate highly that there was actively a replacement approached for next season for the position of Aston Martin team principal that is currently occupied by Otmar Schaffnauer. And that is, I'm sure I said that right, Otmar Schaffnauer. Schaffnauer, exactly. So... That is really interesting because the change in character that we've seen since the Stroll Consortium came in has been kind of stark. Like he's someone who always came across as very nice and very personable. But he has... Do you remember when we um, when it was Eric Boulier at McLaren? Yes. And we just felt like everything we, he said was suddenly corporate speak and you just assumed the opposite suddenly. And it feels like Otmar Schaffnauer is in that kind of same position where he has become almost like a uh, a press secretary, almost like a PR mouthpiece. And with the Perez stuff, obviously I'm triggered because I'm a Perez fan. You know, they he got asked questions about his situation. And when that turned out not to be true, they said, oh, but you said the opposite about Perez. And he came out and he went, ah, but technically I didn't. And he found some wordplay that meant he wasn't lying. And it's like, yeah, okay, that worked like in that moment. But we now know that's your game. 
it has been an interesting and stark shift. So to hear these rumours that he's very much under threat in his position is is odd. Well, I mean, it is odd, but only in the sense that, you know, everyone in Formula One is always got to be watching their back a little bit. Everybody has a shelf life in the sport. And it's, you know, ha- having been places for long periods of time as a musician, and then there's a change, and then the next thing you know, you're out on your keister. I'm not really surprised that the, that Larry might be looking for someone he feels a little more simpatico with. Because you're right, the stuff that Otmar has been saying to TV cameras with what I can only classify as a reasonably straight face really cuts against a lot of the things that he said in the past. So you wonder behind yeah. the scenes, what's happening? maybe there's more friction there. You know, maybe he's ready to move on to someplace that he likes better. Uh, Jules, what's the, what's the take on the continent from the new kind of Aston Martin management? Is this just British cynicism where we're going like, hey, hang on a minute. Everything, everything seems very, very North American. Um. I'm not sure if 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 it's viewed like that over here, um, but I do think uh, everyone is picking up on this sentiment that you uh, just pointed out that uh, last year when it went very well for uh, for the Racing Point and it all, all of a sudden seemed like Otmar had uh, you know was his real kind of media like um, a swagger, yeah, and um, almost like he started to believe. Uh, believe his own role in his own self. And when he started playing this game with, with the Perez contract, it was like, uh, whoa, Otmar is maybe maybe um, uh, going uh, on about it, uh, believing in himself a bit too much. And now all of a sudden, now uh, Aston Martin isn't doing that well. And uh, and he last weekend he came with that complaint. It's like he's... Um, um, I don't know if, the, if that's an English expression, but it's uh, it's he's driven into a corner and he's making these these these. Uh, right. So la- last season he was um, he was like peacocking, uh, uh, peacocking a little bit and a bit confident. Uh, this season he's got his back against the wall a little bit. It reminds me a little bit, Kyle, of like when you get a billionaire owner of a I don't know a, a League One, a League One club in football, and suddenly like that. That billionaire owner is thinking, well, this manager's is not to my liking. Do you know who would be a really good manager? Me. I could do it. And I can, you know, this is more in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s. I, I could see Lawrence Stroll setting himself up as director of sport or team principal. Quite possibly. Um, what I was going to say is um, think back to the latest series of Drive to Survive and one of the opening scenes with Otmar and when Lawrence comes in, they put they portrayed Lawrence as like the big bad guy, but you could almost, I don't know whether it was put on or, or exaggerated for the cameras, but Otmar did seem to have a sense of fear. And also now yeah. because they're not doing so well, Lawrence almost has his perfect full guy. So I fear that if this is true, Otmar might end up being the full guy for their bad performance. So hence is really going after the FIA over these uh, regulation changes. And we should emphasize if this is true, we're sure that this is true, but you shouldn't just take our word for it. Jules. Yeah, didn't you guys get the feeling from the drive to survive dynamic that they they put on? Um, I was kind of surprised by it how they uh, positioned Otmar as uh, indeed the 
the kind of uh, lab dog of uh, of Lawrence Stroll, yeah. and you you get the feeling that that he was almost like the uh, the bad guy's uh, right hand who uh, could be uh, ejected <laughs> like with a push of the button or the fall uh, the floor would fall away and he would be fed to <laughs> right. the sharks. That that kind of dynamic. Oh my gosh, like an Austin Powers vibe. Absolutely. That said. It's not unusual in Formula One for teams that aren't for sale to ask around to see if anyone's interested in buying, to talk to drivers sure. that don't currently yes. drive for them to see if they might be available. So the accuracy of this, I think, is, is probable, is very good. But the specificity that he will definitively be gone is something that we have to sort of wait and see on. That's that's my caution. Yeah, of course. Like, even if we're completely right and they're considering other options... Schaffnauer could still be an option. It doesn't mean that he's necessarily for the job. So I think in that little segment there that we've just talked about, we've painted him in a very negative light. And that's just, that's what we're feeling and that's what we're seeing. If anybody wants to give a much more positive note on it, because I know there are people in F1 media who do speak positively of him, spanners at mistapex.net. Tell us why we're wrong. We're always open to, to hear why we're wrong. This is just our perception. Yeah, well, it, it's hard to know what he's being required to do by his job and what yes, he's doing that's on his true. own personal, um, of his own personal sense of how things should be run. But that said, if he does go, it sets up some interesting potentials because who's going to move there? Who would they potentially recruit? And I mean, you know, he's got a long history and a reputation in the sport. Might he kick somebody else out? And if so, where? Because we've got some, we've got, we've got some juicy tidbits there too. Oh, right. Okay. So I got my alphas mixed up. We'll go to alpha in a second. But Kyle, you first. Yeah, and this wouldn't be the first one in recent history who has succumbed to Lawrence Stroll's management hand. There was Jonathan Wheatley, I believe, who was the, um, who was the sporting director, I think, and he was quite well established within that team. He got the chop uh, before this season or last season, I think. So. This isn't um, a new thing of them getting rid of some senior management people. Well, Bob Fernley, I think, went walkabout too when Stroll took over. Okay. Yeah, no, this is interesting. So there were some rumors going around on the internet. The, I can't remember where I saw it, but there was a tweet from, you know, one of those big F1 media accounts that said, okay, there is going to be a team that is changing its branding next season. Did, did you see that one, Matt, floating around? And everyone was speculating, right, which team is it that's going to have a significant branding change? I think a lot of people just assumed Haas is going to become Mazda Spin F1. That would make sense also. But I incorrectly tweeted that Franz Tost's position was in trouble. Um, Franz Tost is the team principal at Alpha Tauri. I really still, I'm still so mad that there are two teams called Alpha. This is it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, that, that should have been blocked. So, Franz Torst at Alpha Tauri, and then, of course, uh, Alpha Romeo ran by Fred Vasseur. And I've actually forgotten where that info came from, Matt, but we found out the same week. So, he's in trouble as well for some reason. Ah, that's due to Alpha pulling out. So, th this is what we think is that Alpha is pulling out at the end of this year. Yeah, well, the, the their sponsorship ends at the end of this year, right. and it was never a guaranteed thing that Ferrari were going to keep or whoever's in charge of Alpha now. I can't the the business dealings of it. I have not bothered to investigate, but yeah, uh, Alpha is supposedly over at the end of the season, and with that, we might be seeing a change in leadership at the team no 
Well, formerly known as Alpha Romeo. Okay, so that'll be good. So we will be back down to one Alpha. That's good. All right. See, the, the feeling I've got with Alpha Romeo is that Kimi Raikkonen is there because he is putting money in. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And he probably has a big say in who his number two driver in is, which is probably why it's not the next superstar youth driver and why it's Giovinazzi. That's my cynical take on why that's the driver lineup. Is that is that unfair, Jules? Um, no, I think that's no, I think that's a fair guess. Yeah, yeah. Kyle, am I being harsh on Kimi? There, I know there's some Kimi fans out there. I'm not one of them. <laughs> so <probably laughs> the worst person to come to. Um, I think you're. I think you're quite bang on. And Giovinazzi wasn't he associated with Ferrari? I thought Alfa Romeo was supposed to be bringing in and bringing up Ferrari juniors. So I still think they have quite a lot of financial ties to Ferrari. Um, so so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a change in management and it would be good to see some more young talent coming up through that team because yeah. it's not, it's somewhat stagnated. Yes. I mean, look, we all love Kimi as a personality, but he is taking up a spot at the moment. That's my feeling. Tell me why I'm wrong. Uh, Matt at MissedApex.net. Okay, I, I'm not <laughs> going to tell you why you're wrong. You were correct. Giovinazzi, I believe, does have Ferrari Driver Academy ties and uh, to this day. So it's not a surprise that he's in there, but I believe he's backed by an Indonesian cartel. Um, and I can't remember the driver, but the driver was briefly around Formula One, but still sponsors him. So what we could see is those rumors that everyone assumed were about Haas. Yeah. Well, maybe if I'm Mazepin and I'm looking at how my kid is doing at Haas, well, maybe I'd rather buy the team that's already got some championship points yeah. on the board, put him there. Mm, interesting. Well, you're, and, and, yeah. you're, you're buying Sauber, aren't you, effectively? Effectively, yes. That's better than Haas. I think I'd, I'd rather put my kid in a Sauber than a Haas, Kyle. Yeah, um, I think this would be bad news. Haas are struggling. I think Gene Haas is getting to the end of his wick now with it, um, losing the funding. And I think for the Mazepins to go and buy Sauber, Alfa Romeo, whatever they're called, is going to essentially put Haas off the grid. I think I, I don't yeah. think that would be a good thing. Um, Matt? Well, and then this gets to the very interesting of, well, if Otmar's really getting the chop, if I'm Mazepin, am I trying to recruit him to go to the what used to be Sauber? Yeah. Or am I Gene Haas suddenly getting rid of Gunther Steiner and bringing Safnauer and some new investors into the team. Because after all, if Alpha goes, Haas has a really good tie-up with Ferrari, a better one, because they have Schumacher, who's yeah. very marketable, in their team. Okay, so obviously whenever you talk about a long-standing F1 driver, there is going to be a little bit of um, a little bit of angst in the chat room. I understand that. I hope no one is triggered. I wish there was a Kimmy fan on here to say, no, shut up, Spanners, he's still brilliant at 40 and just because your 40 year old body creaks uh sometimes you might think you hear the chair creaking no that is my back and or knees uh so i'm not slating kimmy's earlier career his earlier career was absolutely magnificent disappointing at ferrari now i think it's fair to say that he's he's probably not at his peak career he's not going to get any any better from here so please don't feel like i'm like insulting people it's an interesting point there, Matt. Someone points out that he gets a $5 million salary, $5 million salary at um, Alfa Romeo. 
that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't also have business investment. So, like, no one is arguing that Lance Stroll isn't a pay driver. Lance Stroll is a pay driver by every single measure of the term, but he does pick up technically pick up a salary from Aston Martin. So getting a salary doesn't necessarily mean you're not a, a pay driver. And also, I'm not sure I called Kimi a pay driver, Carl. I, I think I just pointed out that he's investing in the team, therefore has a say. Absolutely. Um, he definitely has some sort of business ties with the team because mm. that was the whole deal with him stepping down from Ferrari, staying in the sport. They facilitated a deal for him to invest and become part of the company with Alfa Romeo and putting the team. I don't know the... yeah the ins and outs, but there's definitely a deal there. And I quickly just want to make a difference. That is so different from being some kid who's having his career paid for. That is Kimi Raikkonen using the money that he has earned from being a brilliant F1 driver and investing that in a team. So there is a stark difference there. Matt, am I out of trouble with Finland yet? Uh, Probably not. Say something nice about, oh, I don't know, uh, Finnish vodka and you'd be there. But Rio Harianto was the name I was looking for in the chat room, politely provided it for me. He was the driver, and I believe the person who backed Rio is is now backing Giovinazzi. Right. Uh, for reasons that I forget, but we can quiz some of our panelists on because they seem to have better knowledge of it than me. Oh, okay. Anyway, sorry, that was a bit of an interesting diversion just because we heard a couple of things during the week. And we look, look how discreet we were, Matt. That should bode well to any team members or media people in the paddock who are like, oh, let's looking for a trustworthy nice source to tell people that burning secret see how discreet we are matt we didn't name any names nope not at all we gave away barely any secrets whatsoever although now people are saying sean galil so i don't know go look it up on the internet for yourselves i just don't have time i have to say there's one team member who will tell me really juicy things and i'll go oh my god that's so amazing and i'm like composing the tweet he's like yeah you can't tell anyone oh my god what do you mean i can't tell anyone that's burning a hole in my twitter account right now and he's like yeah um there's only like five people that know, so it will definitely be obvious it was me. And then, so he'll, he'll then like message me back and go, all right, like a bunch of other departments know now, so you can tweet about it. So, you know, that's the kind of level we're at. But we're super trustworthy, so tell us stuff, team people that are listening. I think it's time to move on to uh, another story. Okay, Matt, what I want to do is I do want to talk about pit stops. But first, let's um, let's pick up some stuff from our uh, from Imola. Let's do a bit more of an Imola debrief. The thing with doing the show so close to the race at eight o'clock is we actually get very limited kind of access to other media, if that makes sense. So we're sat there on a Sunday giving our hot take and we accept that. You know, we'll make a strong argument about something only for, say, like an excellent bit of journalism from Chris Medland or Joe Sayward will come out and just completely and instantly disprove like the amazing points we've made. But we don't have access to, to all those lovely Monday morning write-ups. So sometimes it's nice just to do a little pickup. It is indeed. And there were several very interesting um, things that had to be left late. And I'm going to start with the one that you will like least so it gets out of the way the fastest. And that would be the Kimi Raikkonen situation. Okay. As we all know, Kimi Raikkonen was docked like 30 seconds for yeah. just making an absolute mess of the rolling start on lap, whatever the heck it was. Okay, firstly, I don't hate Kimi Raikkonen. Let's make that completely clear. I'm not a Kimi Raikkonen non-fan. But what did he do at the rolling start? 
Well, he decided to drive across the gravel instead of on the track as they embarked on, on the lap, and he lost two positions. And he did not regain these positions uh, before the lights on the safety car were extinguished, which put him in a very bad place because you were supposed to have until the safety car line won on a standing start to regain your position if you should do something silly and lose it. But in this instance, um, he couldn't do that because they decided at the very last minute, and I believe this was like turn 10. When I say last minute, I mean last minute. They cut the lights out, rolling start. It was turn 10. From that point on, he couldn't overtake and regain the spots he lost driving across the gravel. So the only thing he could do legally at that point, because he wasn't in his position he was supposed to be in, was actually go to the pit lane and start from there. He did not do this. And so the stewards assessed him a penalty for it. But when they did, they pretty much said, these rules don't make a lot of sense. <laughs> okay. And we're only doing this because this is the one consistent rule that we can apply to what happened at the actual start. We think you should look at this FIA and maybe do something about it. Yeah, there was a lot of confusion around what you could and couldn't do. Obviously, Perez rolled off of the line and uh, and then got mugged into into overtaking a couple of cars and then got a penalty. It was outrageous. Hashtag not bias. Uh, also, Jules, uh, your man, Max Verstappen, sorry, we do hold you responsible for him. I know you're not like an out-and-out Max Fossey, uh, but at the restart, he had like an interesting adventure off the track as well. And, and Leclerc like just stopped and waited for him. But a lot of people are saying, well, maybe Leclerc should have just overtaken and just taken the spot. Yeah, it seemed like like uh, Leclerc um, was a bit too too kind and not <laughs> really aware of uh, if uh, if he was allowed to. Um, well, I, th I don't I, think yeah. um, I don't think if he would have uh, taken the spot, he could, uh, would have uh, hold on to it uh, for for a long time. But it uh, certainly didn't harm him because uh, both uh, both starts really uh, Max Verstappen uh, just really took off and he uh, he. Um, he, he uh, this may be interesting uh, for for listeners. I hope he, he's actually um, bred that way by his father. Really, uh, in his in his karting days, um, uh, when all the carts would go out to uh, to warm up the, the the machinery and warm up the tires, uh, Jos would tell Max uh, like none of this. As soon as you get onto the track, it's flat out and start learning how to uh, get decent pace on cold tires. So uh, oh. uh, he also really pushed him in, in lots of ways, but also in this way, like cold tires, uh, doesn't matter. Try and, and seek the limits and, uh, and, and uh, get as, as pacey as you can on cold tires. And uh, that's something you saw on both starts really uh, uh, in, in Imola last time out. That is so interesting because like, we hear about kind of the, the F1 coaching stories, you know, the dad stories. And there's the famous one of, uh, Lewis Hamilton's dad at Rye House and he would see where the really quick carters hit the brakes and then he would not stand there he would stand another few meters beyond that and be like no Lewis break when you get to me <laughs> to like get him to be real last breaker so it's, it's fascinating to hear about that Matt isn't it of like um you know Joss Verstappen going well I don't care don't warm your tires up just go out there and just deal with it just handle it basically yes it, it, it is absolutely fascinating and 
what is really fascinating about this rules contretemps is that we saw more than a few people, and I believe some drivers saying, well, Leclerc really should have just passed Verstappen when he had yeah. that moment going into the going into Ravazza. But it's pretty clear, according to Article 42.12, you cannot overtake once the safety car lights are out. So if Leclerc had gone round him, uh, and and I'm I'm here saying this mostly because, you know, when anyone's wrong on the internet, it does bother me. I've seen it written a couple of times. You can't sleep. If he had gone round him, I'm convinced he would have gotten penalized under that rule unless Max was fully off track when it happened. Oh, Kyle, I think as well, like, there's a difference between a safety car and a formation lap. And that was actually a formation lap just behind the safety car because it was going to lead to a rolling start. If it wasn't a rolling start, we wouldn't have had the pace car out there. Also, and I think the the rules are worded that you, regardless if it's a um, a sighting lap, a pace lap, or a safety car lap, you can overtake a car if it's dangerous not to do so. And Verstappen wasn't really off track for that long. It was so quick, and he quickly came back on track. So yeah. I I agree with Trumpets there. Like I genuinely think that Leclerc would have had to made a conscious, active effort to squirt the throttle and overtake him, and then. Max isn't going to take that laying down and they would have been jostling over the line and it would have been a complete mess. So I actually think Leclerc backing off was the correct thing to do. Yes, again. Yeah, it is. The article I cited was for the rolling start, which declared at turn 10. So that was in play when we got to that corner where he had the off. All right, cool. Well, where are we on our, our debrief? I think the, the big debrief uh, item probably is what's come out of Mercedes. That They're really not happy with anything to do with that crash. Uh, the Bottas damage is probably the main story out of that. Just a quick note on the Russell thing. So Russell released a statement on the Monday, which was so like contrasted to his behaviour on on the Sunday. I, I don't know. For, like, his PR machine is brilliant. Like He's clearly a very articulate, academic, coherent person. So to see him being... I don't know. He was. I we were all Russell fans, but how he behaved on Sunday, we didn't like it. And I'm not talking about the tap on the helmet. I'm just talking about like a little bit of hubris. There was a lot of flash to bang there. Understandable high pressure environment, but it was definitely a net negative. But then on the Monday to just issue a a press release that could have been written by anyone, going, "Oh, I understand." Blah blah. I understand this and that. I don't know, Carl. The shine that was taken off on Sunday didn't get healed by. Uh, a paragraph on Twitter the next day, and but people bought it. People were going such a mature response, like just just shows. And I'm like, well, okay, it was a mature response, but that was sat down with like a team of PR people. Well, I'm not sure he would have been sat down after how hard Toto <laughs> may have smacked certain areas of his body afterwards. Um, Kyle, um, he he, yes, he made the statement, but um, I think he probably. He may have had some input or wanted that statement to come out because I think he would have been shocked when he heard Toto's comments towards it. Um, Towards him, there was a couple where he mentioned he might come back to the Clio Cup or where he was inferring that. And another one which actually contained an expletive when he was writing off his tin hat um, theory. So I think he would have been fairly shocked reading those. Um, But definitely it was a ticking off from the boss, I think. Yeah, there was certainly like a a strut wasn't there from Russell. Like when... He came out of that incident. He was absolutely 100% sure. Like, he was indignant with rage at Bartosz. He was 100% in the right. And he did have to walk that back. But I do get the feeling that the walk back was because 
Toto Wolff came out so strongly semi against him. And I don't think that means he's like dumped from Mercedes. Quite often you are harsher on the students you like. So if Toto Wolff really is expecting the highest standards from George Russell, the bar to be disappointed is is less. Yeah, I, I, I take your meaning there. To me, uh, what still blows my mind is Williams has a press officer. In fact, if you see press officers, they will go to interviews you know, when the drivers are in the pen and they'll just stand there and handle the drivers and record everything they say. I cannot imagine that the press officer for Williams told Russell it would be a great idea to tell the world that he went over to Botas to yell at him yeah. for causing the crash. But he wanted to, yeah, he wanted the world to know that he went over to Botas and yelled at him. Like he, he was so kind of justified and indignant in that moment. And then to persist in, in saying it was 100% his fault that he violated gentlemen's agreements and not just, I mean, any, any F1 driver is like, well, you know, from my cockpit, it really looked like this was a mistake on Bottas' part. But, you know, I need to see the video. Like, yeah. this is just like basic professional <laughs> F1 driver 101. You can imagine, can't you, in like the team briefings, like the, the, the PR officer is there making them. Now, repeat after me. I need to see the video. I need exactly. to see the video. Jules. Yeah, this was this was uh, later uh, revealed as to be um, uh, pretty pretty decent uh, media work because they managed to speak to Russell when he came out of the uh, the the doctor's uh, um, checkup. Yeah, because the the impact was this big that they uh, they are uh, obliged to uh, to yeah, have standard, a checkup. Yeah. And when he left that. Uh, the Williams press officer wasn't there yet, and some of the media just just oh. waited for him to be there. So, because of course they they already felt like this guy's gonna spew it out, you know. Mm. So and 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 he did. And um, I thought it. I thought I I I didn't really mind that that Russell uh, of Sunday afternoon. To be fair, I mean, of okay. course he he was a bit negative, but. Um, I really liked his um, his slight digs at oh, Bata shouldn't fight for P nine and uh, um, it was honest, wasn't it? It was like almost yeah, it was yeah. refreshingly I mean, honest in a way. Isn't this what what we really want? We don't want his Monday statement. We we want to to feel to know that he thinks he belongs in that car and that and that Bottas isn't uh, isn't supposed to to fight for P nine. Kyle, yeah, you have to. You have to defend your drivers, don't you? That's exactly what Toto was going to do. Because well I keep done, getting Kyle. his name wrong. Toto. Um, is it Toto or Toto? Uh, Mr. Wolf. Yes. You, like, he, Kyle, he hang he on a minute, Kyle. There's drivers. literally no controversy about this. It is definitely Toto, Toto Wolf. It is not Toto. I just keep forgetting. So, Toto, thank you for reminding yeah, me. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, your point that I, I just trampled all over was he's defending, oh, his, he, he's defending his drivers. Yeah, he absolutely has to defend his drivers. And another reason why he may not have been particularly enamoured with George and his um, and his reaction to it was he was essentially the catalyst for both the Mercedes races being wrecked <laughs> within the space of a lap. Because George did mention this in his interview afterwards. He did kind of half apologise to Lewis saying it wasn't the best place to let you through. You can't blame him for it, but it was uh, Lewis had two options. Smash into the back of George or go yeah. on to the um, wet stuff. Uh, it was just unfortunate, but that's not a great way to enamour yourself to a potential employer, is it? To eliminate both no, their cars no, in no, space it, for that, then have a hissy fit about it. It was it was definitely Lewis's mistake that sent him off. 
Uh, but if you want a Mercedes gift hamper for Christmas, that's not the place you let the seven-time world champion past. Yeah, precisely. And it might be even more so now that they have a bill for the car that yes. Russell destroyed. Now, that's, this is the main issue. I was staggered, Matt. Yeah, well, when you drive a car into a wall at that kind of speed, you shouldn't be surprised that mm. most of it's going to need replacing. And the estimate that is now floating about is one million pounds to fix the damage. And that's so high that, that uh, Andrew Shovelin is, is saying that it, it may impact their development for 22. Like, it's, it's with the cost cap this year, and they're so close to the number that the amount it's going to cost them to fix the car, mm. to replace all those parts, is enough that they're now being concerned that anything else is going to impact their development for 22. They won't be able to spend money on that because they have to spend it on just getting through 21 with all the correct parts. Well, I guess Lewis has got to wrap that eighth world title up right now then because they're going to be skint next season. Poor Mercedes, how will they manage? But it is interesting to see the cost of that damage. It must have been a big shunt. So firstly, that's really good that Bottas got out of that shunt. And I think it kind of got lost in the drama of Russell and Bottas, just how big a shunt that was. And I think the fact that the front of Russell's car was actually reasonably lifted. Did you see that, Kyle? Like, it went into the halo. Yeah, it it's another huge example of why the halo is great because again, he probably was going to get a, a nose cone in the face, Bottas, if it, if that halo wasn't there. So that's why he said he, 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 he sounded audibly shaken up on the radio Yeah, and, and who can blame him? Yeah. I mean, nose in the face, that was also the name of my men at work nineties cover band. Uh, but that's by the by. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The rest of the car, Matt, was a wreck. 
and you could see by the paintwork and by the dents in it that it's is it almost is it a total write off i mean we see big kind of super superficial smashes where they're spinning the front wing hits the barrier the rear wing hits the suspension's damaged and all those parts are kind of designed to be removed and replaced but if you damage the full core of the the monocoque and the chassis are we are we just talking a whole new car uh pretty much uh the only thing that might be usable again would be the uh, power unit the first inspection they seem to think that they would be able to reuse it and it looks like they're going to give them a new monocoque even if they think they could repair the one that was in the accident just because and who can blame them because if that happens again you wouldn't want him in something that was repaired now would you now if i was lewis hamilton i'd be sitting there going hang on a minute he's getting a brand new car Wow, I want to see. I want to see what specs are going into that car. I want to see what upgrades are going into that that new car. So that will be that will be interesting. Or you could have. I don't know what's the politics like at Mercedes. You might have Mercedes going. Do you know what? You were kind of to blame for the, for that wreck, and we're now going to invest in Lewis way more than you because Lewis is fighting Max Verstappen. I'm not sure how much I read into those um, claims that it could affect our development under the cost cap yes that's not actually come in hard for this year i believe this is a trial year for the cost caps there are no rules governing it i think they may have said that just to put the screw onto george a little bit more just like Maybe, yeah, yeah. Because this could be the consequence i don't really believe it's solidly going to affect them yeah, we do that with the kids all the time like if they damage a thing you're like that was mummy's special flower pot it was the irreplaceable 6.99 at ikea uh, I would agree with Kyle, uh, except for I think they're aiming more at the FIA because they're trying to loosen up extra room. They've been on it about the sprint races costing extra money. They've been on it about now this. And in fact, you know, for all we know, the number they are floating may not be the actual, actual number. They're just trying to take as much advantage as they can, as is absolutely the case with any Formula One team in that particular position. All right, but we all know that's not the real problem with Mercedes. The real problem is the shocking state of their pit stops. Jules, you've made some observations about the Mercedes pit stops. Yeah, um, because um, Lewis's pit stop was four seconds in uh, at Imola. Oh my God, and, tragic. Um, yeah, <laughs> and um, uh, they made sure he uh, he wouldn't uh, get back in front of Max Verstappen uh, uh, with that slow stop. And it made me think that, wait a minute, um, in the first race, they uh, they massively screwed up uh, Bottas' uh, pit yeah, stop. Yeah, it was really long, yeah. And then I thought, wasn't uh, Russell's uh, victory at Sakir also uh, um, messed up with a slow and bad pit stop? So I started looking in, into the numbers, uh, the, the some pit stop data, and um, it was... 2018, when uh, the first sub 2.0 uh, pit stop was done by uh, uh, by Red Bull first, and eventually uh, uh, Ferrari did the fastest this, that season. And I started looking into things, and um, 2018 was the last time Mercedes uh, made it to the top 10 fast stops of the season. And then after that, they uh, they never made it in there. But um, uh, so. Wow! Right, right at the time from 2018, pit stops started getting uh, uh, faster and faster, and um, Mercedes just uh, seemed to have a problem keeping up with that trend. Um, yeah. Uh, unlike Ferrari, Williams, who uh, who have uh, faster stops than them, um, 
and uh, Red Bull set a couple of world records. It's 1.82 uh, at this point. And, um, uh, 1.82. 1.82. Wow. And Mercedes uh, have yet to pull off a sub 2.0 stop at right. all. So they, they, they've never yeah. done that. That's right. Well, thing is, thing is though, Matt, it, it, that is a, when you've got the undercut, 1.5 seconds is a big deal if you're trying to defend against the undercut. So you can class that as a mistake. But I think what Jules is sort of intimating here is that there is just a core. Oh, my God. I mean, the margins we're talking about, we're talking about like tenths of a second for changing four tyres. But is that core difference in pit stop performance a, a deciding factor? And perhaps Mercedes feel more under pressure when they're doing their stops because of that. Holy, holy Sam Michaels, I cannot believe we are finally talking about this. <laughs> and excellent research, Jules. Uh, it, it's delightful to me. Yes. And in fact, I think what we could see is that Mercedes, based just on the average times you're talking about, would have worked towards consistency of pit stops in all conditions rather than absolute speed because they are competing and have been competing on a, with a car that gave them the margin mm. to drive around the extra time. We'd rather not have a problem and be a little bit slower every time than be fast and then have it go disastrously wrong. Now, what's interesting, and you also bring up, is we know that when conditions change at the last second for a Mercedes, they do tend to struggle getting all the pieces and parts on. Given that, once we have a chance, I want to talk about the Imola pit stop in Hamilton in particular. Yeah, I actually thought the same thing, Matt. Like, okay, they have always had this performance advantage, so they didn't need to take the biggest risk at pit stop. But then I looked into to the data further, and they aren't even uh, consistent. They are getting slower. And their, um, uh, the amount of races where they average uh, three plus second pit stops. Now that's, yeah. Are, are, um, are, are increasing while, um, uh, so for instance, um, um, Mercedes um, had uh, five races the last three seasons, on average, five races a season where they didn't get below uh, 3.0 pit stops, while uh, Red Bull uh, have 11 That's, races last yeah. season when they, when, they, uh, um, when they did that. So um, end, of, uh, uh, end of the line, Red Bull are getting faster, more consistently, and uh, Mercedes are getting slower, more consistently. That, I mean, that's a massive advantage when we're talking about undercuts and overcuts being really, really vital in this current era, especially when you've got a track like Imola, like Portimao, uh, what else, uh, Mugello. I can't even remember if Mugello's on the calendar this year. I don't think it is. Is it? No, no, there's no Mugello this year. Yeah. But when you've got those tighter tracks, I mean, especially like Monaco could be super key. That's like your one opportunity to, to overtake. If that gap is widening... If we get to Monaco and Verstappen has that tool in his armory, Matt, where he can go for an undercut and, and potentially be one, two, three seconds ahead and Mercedes have a bad pit stop and Red Bull have their best pit stop. I mean, oh God, that's going to be, yeah, that could be championship changing. It could and it may yet be. Uh, one of the interesting things about this last pit stop for Hamilton that, that caused them a problem was that 
they, Mercedes in particular, have been struggling to get the tires up to temperature. And it was cold and it was raining. So they put on the brake shrouds, the cake tens, that held in the most heat. The problem with that is that can also tend to seize up the lock nuts on the wheels. And that was what nabbed Hamilton. Now consider this as well, that how many laps had he been out when he went off trying to pass George Russell? It took Botas 17 laps to get his front tires up to temperature the first time around, and he never got them there the second time around because he and George Russell had a disagreement about who was going to go where. Uh, Kyle, can we just have a moment as uh, engineers here to just uh, mourn the fact that designers just don't care about the effect of overheating and they just constantly just ignore that and you just sit in the background going, do you know what, whatever, it's your choice, I've tried telling you. Things expand. Things get tighter when they get hotter. Hot <laughs> is bad. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Well, they've obviously prioritised the temperature because that's the massive yeah. differentiator for for performance. But yeah, it may it may have made it a bit more awkward to get those wheels on and off. Um, so, what they gained in the temperature, probably multiple multiple seconds. Mm-hmm. What they've lost in the pit stop, one or two. So, in that way, the engineers won out. But it is frustrating when people don't consider thermal considerations, isn't it? Tell you what, Kyle, let's just have a full thermal episode where we talk about the importance of uh, of just managing temperatures within a complex electronic system. Are you, you game? Um, I need some whiskey for that, I think. Yeah, it's fine. We'll just do a, a drunk yeah, episode talking about electronics, Matt. <laughs> yeah, well, here's what's so interesting about, you remember last week, when you were very excited about how Hamilton was making up so much time on Verstappen at the end of the first stint. Yes. And it's because his tires were cold at the beginning and he could not push on them. So he had more of them left at the end relative to the Red Bull. That's where that pace differential came from. And we would have seen it again had he kept it on the track. Although I would argue that the cold tires might have had something to do with it. And this brings up the removal of DOS as a weapon in Mercedes' arsenal because they used it last season to great effect, but they don't have it available. And now consider the tires have changed shape, meaning getting the temperature into the bulk is a different game that they don't have great data for, and they've lowered the pressure and higher pressures, higher temperatures, lower pressures, lower temperatures. And finally, the third piece of the puzzle? Yeah. They have struggled with the attachment of the airflow at the back. How do you fix that? How do you balance the car if I don't you're know. losing points off the back? You take some off the oh, front. But okay. if you do that, suddenly it's that much harder to get the temperature into the front tires, especially at the start of the race. So it's a really interesting place Mercedes is in right now. Shape of the tires has changed still round for the 100th season in a row. Think outside the box. I don't know. Come on, Pirelli. Think of something different. But we've talked about how pit stops are playing a factor. We've not talked about whether they they should play a factor. Now, (laughs) Formula E isn't the best example of motorsport in any way, shape or form right now after last weekend. We're not going to go into that. But when we first started watching Formula E, we covered the first three seasons. But then Chris Stevens couldn't do it anymore. Um, so we, we abandoned it a bit. Would would cover Formula E again, Matt, if we had a chance? Yeah, if we had the right person, we would, yeah. we would definitely go back and cover it. We just need uh, 
We need a Chris Stevens replacement. We do need a Chris Stevens. Or we need the Matt Trumpets of Formula E is essentially what I need to make a Formula E podcast work. But what they had and what they still have is minimum pit stop times. So the performance of the pit crew isn't an issue. It was about safety with Formula E. You're swapping cars. So let's get the driver out. Let's get him in. They didn't want that rushed. So they had a minimum pit stop time. Now, with Formula One, I wouldn't argue if you had a minimum pit stop time. If you said, okay, 10 seconds is the minimum, you're there for the... Carl's already shaking his head. Good, yay, someone's going to fight with me. Um, 10 seconds is the minimum. So you stop, it's going to be 10 seconds, you change the tyres, you get it done, you sort any problems out, and then you're on, on your way. We've talked about what a critical sporting performance the pit stops make, Kyle. And I'm going to argue that we shouldn't have that not because I'm denigrating the skill of the pit stops. It looks amazing. It's engineering ballet. Like I was a supportability engineer. That is the that is the very pinnacle of supportability engineering that you can change wearing parts under two seconds. So I'm all for the skill of it. I get it. But everything else in Formula One, we're used to the driver manipulating that car. Once it's been designed, you send it off and you bring it to the driver. We now have or we've always had a sporting element that is down to a bunch of guys that are really talented, but I don't know them. Like, I, I don't know, Kyle. I don't know if Derek has been put on left fronts. Like, Derek could be the front jackman normally. But oh, oh, Phil got a promotion to front jackman, and now Derek's having to do left fronts. I want to sit here on Miss Apex podcast and go, Derek's on left, on, on left fronts. What are they thinking? That's crazy. So that's a whole sporting, game-changing element that is not available to me as a fan. I don't know. I disagree. I think we should be championing, championing and celebrating Derek's more um, because it's fantastic. Formula One is ultimately a team sport. Everyone goes on about the drivers, but we have said it countless times. It is a team sport and it's fantastic that the pit stops are the big, big team. Yes, the team makes the car and everything. That's the huge team element, but they actually have an active role during the race to decide the race. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. And it would be a tragedy to lose it. We shouldn't lose it. Well, in that case, I want more. If if you're going to go that way, if you're going to say that pit stops can decide races, Carl, I want Hmm. fantasy pit stop team. I want to know the names of the crew. I want I want to pick yeah. like which front jackman did you have? Which front jackman had the least errors in 2020? Indeed. I want to go down the shop and buy stickers and stick them into an album <laughs> of the pit crew. Why not? Let's celebrate them more. Come on, Panini, do us a sticker yeah. album for 2021 pit crews. But but you understand what I'm getting at, Carl, which is like that that whole element is just a mystery. Your your driver is winning. He's doing really well. He comes in for new tires. Something happens, you don't really know why. And pff, that's it. Your driver's not winning anymore. That sucks. I totally understand that, that a driver could make make the difference to make the undercut work and then it's a botched pit stop. But equally, it can work the other way. They can be right on the edge and the team can pull off an unbelievable pit stop to make it possible. Um, so so it works two ways. I don't think we should lose it. I think it's just dandy the way it is. And it's another element where a team can be competitive and gain an advantage when they are stymied in their aerodynamic development or they're stuck with a powertrain that does not give them everything they need to be successful. It's another way for them to compete. And almost always when you see that pass happen, you know, the team that loses the time in the pit stop has been put under that pressure strategically by the driver 
doing the right thing. So yeah, it's not, it's not the driver directly, but it's definitely a result of how the uh, driver is doing their job for the team in that instance. All right. Just remember, you heard that here at Missed Apex podcast. If you, if you hear that anywhere else, if you, if you see other media outlets suddenly out of the blue deciding to like, oh, we need more information about the pit stop crew. Please just say that Missed Apex thought of it. I think they can go and do it. Just, you know, just give the OGs some props. They have the vote for your driver of the race. Why don't we have yeah. vote for your best pit crew of the race? And, and, not, and not like the whole pit crew. I want like the individual. So like, oh yeah, the front jack man at Haas. That was like the smoothest decoupling we've seen for a while. I believe DHL gives out an award every race for the best fastest pit stop. And there's one at the end of the year as well. So what you're really saying is Formula One publicity needs to do a little bit better job on that. <laughs> okay, so as you know, at Missed Apex Podcast, we do have a strict 60-minute time limit. And since we've only got 23 seconds left of that, we uh, we have to go to our final topic, Matt. Uh, this is, I'm looking at the amount of whiskey in my glass, and I'm thinking, how is that possible? Surely we've been talking for 20 minutes at this point. Hmm. We I don't think we should base the success of this project on your whiskey consumption. Although, to be fair, it has got us this far. But before we get to our final subject, I just want to remind you guys that we are a Patreon-supported podcast. We can do everything we do because of you guys out there. Without the patrons, we wouldn't exist. Now, somebody said, oh, I finally signed up to Patreon because I had been freeloading for too long. We don't see it like that. Mr. Apex Podcast is a free thing that we, we do for the love of it, but we've continued to be able to do that. We've had the privilege of continuing to do that because people have supported us. And it's not just about survival. We've literally been given the tools to upgrade. We've been given the tools to go and do events. We've got the tools to send a person out to do a thing and to to be around, to talk to the right people. And we've got ambition. You know, the, the fact that the writers are on board now and that we've got a written crew, I could not have done that a year and a half ago. I now have the time to sort that out and we have a great team of writers. Go to mistapex.net or mistapexpodcast.com and, and you'll see the articles down there. The, the standard of writing is just excellent. They're a really good crew. Um, they've taken no time at all to find their feet. And on a race weekend, I think that mistapex.net could be a place where you could go and get your, your written F1 info. But we couldn't have done that without the patrons supporting Mist Apex and, and allowing us to give it that time. So do please consider supporting uh, us on patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. The link is in the show notes. We never think about, oh, you're buying anything. But if you do support us, we'll try and make it worth your while. You can join us in our excellent Slack community. I'm, I'm in there every day. You can sit there and chat to us about F1, iRacing, fitness, gardening. We have about... 40 different channels on different subjects. It's cool. I love hanging out there. Um, also, you'll get an ad-free version of the feed to add to your podcast player. And there's some extra content. Me and Matt tend to jump on after FP2 on race weekends and do a 40-minute show that will just be instantly out of date. Like, I love the fact that you know people will listen to that on Monday and Tuesday and go, well, you two are idiots <laughs> because you got every prediction wrong. But that is, uh, that's a feature, not a bug. So if you feel like supporting us and feel like encouraging us missed apex podcast and that's wrong patreon.com forward slash missed apex podcast no that's wrong as well got it wrong twice now third time's a charm 
patreon.com forward slash missed apex. Conspiracy theorists will say, Matt, that I got that wrong three times just to drum home the URL that people will need. And for all we know, you did. I'm playing 4D chess. That is 500 level IQ. Uh, Let's talk about Barcelona, though. So Barcelona's the next Grand Prix, right? No, that'd be Portimao. Portimao's next. When's Barcelona? Soon, though, isn't it? I've stumped you all. Yeah, it's with, after. It's, it's after. after. Okay, so we've got Portimao, yeah. then Barcelona. Thank goodness Carl's paying attention. So Barcelona, an absolutely iconic track. That is the track that we are racing at on Friday for our Missed Apex iRacing series. Go and watch that by subscribing to Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube. And you can see me, Matt, Kyle, Alex, all competing against a bunch of our listeners. We've got a 55-car grid. Uncle Steve does a great video broadcast. Go and check that out. But we love doing the F1 tracks because it gives us a bit of an appreciation, I think, Carl, of the challenge that the drivers are facing. So we, uh, you know, we did Imola in the officials of the F3 iRacing officials as well. Um, And when we can line things up like that, your weekend is enhanced by the fact that you've been driving it in a quote unquote video game before anyone gets upset with me. And I encourage anyone, like even if you've just got an Xbox and a controller just go and find any outdated, go and find the cheapest like F1 game from four years ago and just go and do laps of the circuit just to appreciate what it's like from, you know, a driver point of view. 100% knowing the layout of the track and roughly where the braking points are and where they change gear, just a really rough understanding will 100% enhance your enjoyment of when you're watching the race because if it's going into a tight section and you come out of a fast section you'll know because oh they're going into a big braking zone next and this could be an overtake it, yeah. it will 100 improve improve your experience oh my god so often on cameras the overtaking and the braking that is the thing that really doesn't come across so like a lot of times you're looking at cars and it looks like they're just following each other through a complex like you get no appreciation of the fact that they're braking hard there or that that's an area where they might lose downforce because they're having to brake and turn behind a car. Yeah, absolutely. And then also when you when you see their onboards from their quality laps and they do it faster than you could ever dream of doing it on the game and they're not lifting where you were being the game, you're, you're just then <laughs> full of even more admiration um, for them. And I'm just like, wow, I couldn't even do that on the game. Yeah, I fully agree. It, 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 knowing the track and knowing the... Uh, you recognize when they take the racing line, when they take uh, uh, an alternative line. It helps you anticipating uh, certain overtaking spots or appreciating when overtaking is done at a spot where you know it's like, that's impossible. <laughs> yeah, okay. So with Barcelona, uh, the the track has changed. Uh, turn 10 is quite iconic. So you've got, you've got that sweeping right-hander up over the hill, Kyle, where uh, in previous in previous generations of F1 car, you've had to lift. I think it's pretty much flat out now, definitely with modern F1 cars. And then you've got the big run down to turn 10. It's a big downhill stop. And then before you go back up the hill, and that's where they've changed things. Yes. So they're slightly changing the, um, the turn 10 hairpin as well. And yeah, as you say, turn nine campser, as it's called, I think, yep, yeah, used to be a pretty... F- fearsome corner and now it's uh, pretty much an acceleration zone for modern f1 cars but then that leads us straight into maybe um 
George Russell's argument, as he is now head of the GDPA, he um, he's actually proposing or asking that we get rid of that Mickey Mouse final chicane to okay. potentially aid aid overtaking. And I do think, like on first thought, you'd look at it, you don't know what's our what's our preconceived sort of um what's our conception of what gives good overtaking okay a slow corner onto a long straight into another slow corner mm. but with this modern generation of formula one cars this doesn't seem to be true anymore that chicane was put in in 2007 when there wasn't really much of a tire delta and it was mm. all about refueling there was no drs there was no hybrid system there was a lot less variables to play with and so i think there was quite a lot of logic in get rid of that last chicane and go back to the really really fast balls to the wall final two corners Okay, so what we're really talking about is Sector 3 in Barcelona here. So we'll have that discussion. But before we get too many emails, let's just have a look at the the F1 calendar because we got a bit stuck on that. So 2nd of May is Portimao, is the Portuguese Grand Prix. And then a week later, we have Barcelona on the 9th of May. And then Monaco is on the 23rd of May. So how much of a gap is that? Is that two weeks? So that's two weeks then to the... to Monaco as well, and then it is well. We're here. Well, we're well. We've got the calendar open. We've got Baku on the sixth of June. We've got the Canadian Grand Prix still on the official calendar as it happens on the thirteenth of June. Although most people now think that is the Turkish Grand Prix that's going to take the place of that. Then we've got oh, <laughs> guys. Remember that Paul Ricard exists. Ugh, okay. Then the Austrian GP, British GP, Hungarian Grand Prix, Belgian Grand Prix, Zandvoort finally, Monza. That's a good run, isn't it? It's a good run, Kyle. Got loads of great Grand Prix coming up. It's brilliant. And I don't know why everybody hates Paul Ricard. I personally, it's one of my favourite tracks to drive in the sim. I absolutely love it. It's got a fantastic flow to it. Because on telly, you don't know what's happening. Oh, on telly, yeah. It looks like like a a zebra that's been been attacked with a pot of paint. But but I think it's got a beautiful flow. (laughs) Well, that's why. But let's go back to Barcelona, the, the final... Uh, sector Jules where do you stand on on that chicane um I'm I'm totally uh, uh fine with uh, getting rid of it oh. um I know it's it's a it's a, a a driver can can lose an overtaking position uh, by not taking the chicane very well and but um I I just love these these long uh, long um, uh, benders before actually getting on uh, on the straight and then in in the in the corner running up to the straight already positioning yourself and getting a bit closer into the slipstream and um, I mean Spain doesn't work uh, nowadays we all know that so let's try something different and um, um, I would be fine with it yeah, I completely agree agree with Jules there um, it would be great to see them do the final two very fast corners. And as George Russell points out, they can probably follow a bit closer now, but what they would lose in the dirty air, they would gain back more because the cars would be on the straight so much faster, punching a much bigger hole in the air. So what is now basically an acceleration zone all the way down the straight, they'll already be hitting it at a much higher velocity. So with DRS, I actually genuinely think the what they'll lose in the dirty air will be negated and then some by the slipstream effect. And I think someone pointed out in the chat room saying the um the slipstream will be too much. Well, what do we have at the moment? We don't have 
enough. So surely too much will be a bit better for overtaking. Uh, we've got a couple of comments in the chat room here. Infinite TK says you can't judge track because there no overtake because there's no overtaking. If you do that, then Monaco can go away. He says. Well, yeah. I mean, I've I've been a strong advocate of that. So here's the deal. I'll do with you for Monaco this year, guys, because it's been a couple of years since Monaco. We've got new listeners since the last time I complained about Monaco. I will in the preview for Monaco. I will have like five minutes where I'm allowed to complain about Monaco and how it shouldn't be on the F1 circuit. Uh, oh, but you really have to be there. I but I'm not a posh kid, so I never got to go there. So I'll have five minutes where I can just have a full on rant. And then I will approach the Monaco weekend like it's a real, genuine F1 weekend and not like just a weird millionaire's playground. So Barcelona has the potential to be a good racetrack. I mean, Carl, what we're talking about here is the difference between a a driver track and a racing track. That's fair. The chicanes are a great driver challenge. Barcelona is a great driver challenge. It's a flowing track. I know there's one person, David Garcia, he loves it when I compare it to my iRacing experience. So just for you, David, I am tired when I'm doing the Barcelona track in the F3 on iRacing because there's no break between the corners. It's flowing. You are constantly working. That doesn't translate to a good race track, unfortunately. And I think the chicane part of Barcelona is the the biggest example of that. Yes. And the chicane was put in in 2007 for a different era, and it may well have been better for overtaking then. I genuinely believe this modern generation of F1 cars with the hybrid technology and the tyres the way they are, and DRS, um, the actual design concept sort of needs and desires now for overtaking, I think is changing quite a lot and proved so much by some of the fantastic races we got on more old school circuits we, yeah. we wouldn't have gone to last year. And just look at the new sort of Miami GP layout. It's very fast, <laughs> flowing. It's kind of gone anti Abu Dhabi, hasn't it really? Because Abu Dhabi was supposed to be the track to generate mm. overtaking on paper. It was supposed to be perfect and it's proved to be one of the worst. So I think the whole philosophy is changing Get rid of that chicane. Let's try it. I, I I, I, did have my mind changed last season. We had a lot of old school tracks. You know, we had Imola, which actually it's delivered two decent Grand Prix, even though overtaking is an issue. Portimao was great. Uh, we had uh, Mugello was, was great as well. So people point to the cars as the problem. I think the problem might also be that our sensibilities as modern F1 fans centers too much around simply cars passing each other you can have great racing battles and strategy and i think people are starting to wake up to that now 2020 opened the eyes to newer f1 fans as well that you can have that driver wheel to wheel lap to lap challenge the live timing has helped get that live timing screen up uh, from f1.com and you can really follow what's happening carl you know look we're, we're old men yelling at the clouds here aren't we ish let's um hopefully the fans sort of perception as you say may be changing as well let's see that when we do get a um inverted commas quote boring race this season let's see if the wtf syndrome kicks in and people start calling the sport dead hopefully not we've been we we haven't approached it yet this season but WTF let's, let's just okay, okay let's just see if that if that changes uh matt he's led you into that he's teed you up did you did you pay kyle to tee up the Miami thing so that we would end the show talking about how you were super duper right about Miami. 
well, I may have no comment on the advice of my <laughs> attorney about that particular matter. All right, fine. I thought that was fine. <laughs> no, uh, the interesting thing about Miami is they've they've moved it. But if you if you look, as Kyle says, at the video, there's some pretty long straights um, where DRS is going to be. Well, I mean, we don't know. We'll have the 2022 car, so who knows what we're going to get? Let's just start with that. Nobody knows what's going to happen in 2022 because the design is so different to anything we've had before. Could be anything. But if we're playing with the same ish rules as we have now, uh, there's liable to be some good opportunities for people to get close and to overtake and uh, you know the stadium is there and miami uh, it's not a bad city to be in it's just not a bad city now the interesting thing is we might be losing a race because domenicali has said that in fact uh the calendar total number of races is going to stay the same at 23 and the one race i've seen named in print so far is potentially being likely to go into rotation and not be on the calendar next year would be Spain. So we'd lose Barcelona for Miami, Kyle? Well, I think Miami would be a big game for Formula One. They're still making great inroads into the American market. They have American owners. It can't be a bad thing. Um, and if they are starting to rotate Spain, it's even more um, weight <laughs> behind the argument of, if you are rotating it, get rid of the chicane and try something new, freshen it up a bit. So uh, interesting people I saw online talking about the logistics of it. So that means you wouldn't have runoff. There's currently grandstand there. So you might have to take away some grandstand to make it happen. But also we have just seen that with these modern cars, the chicane onto a straight doesn't aid racing. A big heavy braking zone maybe at the end of the straight, sure. But the Mexico, Kyle, uh, through the stadium complex, it's glorious seeing them go through that stadium complex mm. with the fans. It's amazing. But what that guarantees is you get gaps all the way down yeah. the straight because everyone's having to slow down and wait for the car in front to get traction and go out. Absolutely. It spreads out. It's fair enough having a sort of small section of the track like this. And that and the Miami layout is very much looking like this. It's um If those of you have played Formula One 2020 and learned the Vietnam layout, it's very similar to the Vietnam layout. There are several extremely mm-hmm. fast switchbacks between the walls, very fast, a hugely long straights into some fairly big braking zones, then a slight little technical section. It looks predominantly fast and flowing, but I think it's going to be a power and an ERS circuit. But to me, for when you first look at that and thinking about how modern one, modern Formula One races pan out, mm-hmm. it looks like it's going to be fantastic for racing. It's very wide where it needs to be. All right. It could be the one street circuit that doesn't suck. Who knows? Now we have one award coming up. I will just say on that Barcelona thing, people in the chat room, Stuart Neil High says, uh, I can't say I'll miss Barcelona. I, I know. I know that it hasn't produced the best racing, but I really, really love that track. You know, when you do the above like track layout things and they go identify this track layout barcelona is one of the most iconic just penciled in track layouts in formula one history interlagos probably rivals it as one of the most recognizable that's an f1 track when you see that shape so if there's a way we can save barcelona and make it fine like i will do that I, I'm happy, not with my personal money, I have zero money. But if F, the FIA wanted to go, right, actually, we need to keep the circuit to Catalonia, 
let's bring bulldozers to it and just make it better. Remodel it. Do what you need to do. I want to keep it. I like it. It's part of F1 history. Um, also, that exact same argument doesn't apply to Monaco. There's nothing you can do. That track is dead. Okay, so uh, we've got one award, Matt, and that is... Comment of the week. And this is where we give an award to our fantastic live chat room who keep us company. We have up to a thousand people at a time. We had 8,000 people drop into our Bahrain live stream of our, our review at some point or the other. A lot of people just drop in and out of the live stream and then catch the full podcast later. But all those people, those all those 8,000 people, Matt, can drop in to the live chat while we're recording a race review and go, you're a knobhead. Or here's my opinion, or you guys are great, that's brilliant. And it's just, it really is. It's the wind beneath our wings. It's amazing. It is. And, and it informs our discussion, and it guides where we're going. And, and it's it's fabulous to have the chat room as part of our broadcast and part of our podcast. Oh, can I brag about a thing? Yes. I was in the iRacing, just a public lobby, just basically, you know, there's me at home in my shed in a video game and somebody recognized the name Richard Reddy and went on the game chat, Spanners, I love your podcast. And I'm like, I'm just sitting here playing a game. And I was going to go two ways about it. The one way was to be honest and go, that made my day. The other way to go, of course, would be, oh, my God, <sighs> I'm just trying to play a video game. I just want to live a normal life. Yeah, well, ice of fame, my friend. <laughs> it was lovely. I really like that. Uh, okay, in any case, uh, do come and join us. Search for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube, and maybe you could be the winner of Comment of the Week. Matt, who's the nominees? We will start with our friend Dave Hart. Uh, regarding our pay driver discussion, mm. Lance uses his allowance to invest in the team. Oh, okay. okay. No, that, oh, that is so cruel, but it's like, no, I'm not rich. My parents are rich. That's that, that kind of argument. No, I used my own allowance. Yes, it is. Um, we have Booze Baron talking about Mercedes trying to trim their budget fat, saying, I hear they're reusing the air from the tires. <laughs> that doesn't work. <laughs> with flat tires are bad mind you generally they're only flat at the bottom so as soon as we solve that problem we're good um we have bruce seagal talking about our pit stop discussion uh this does remind me of a redacted car executive talking to dealers we can't be the best at sales or quality so we are going to be the best at paperwork <laughs> okay so is that the last nominee uh, we have one more, our friend Yelmer Vanderlei, uh, regarding our non-existent Portimao preview, preview discussion going, Portimao! <laughs> That's the sound that cars make. It's the same discussion, isn't it, with gun noises, like what's your machine gun noise? Is it, eh, or is it, piao, 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 piao? Same with car noises. It's got to be, meow. Or if you're old, it's, meow. Gearboxes are better now. Yeah. No, that's an ex that's a Renault. <laughs> okay, so who's the winner of comment of the week? Well, I don't know. It's a tough one. You liked all of them, but I think I'm going to have to go for Dave Hart. Lanch uses his allowance to invest in the team. Comment of the week. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on Missed Apex Podcast. And on the Friday before the next Grand Prix that we all now know is Portimao, me and Matt will do a little bit of a, 
we can do that again, Matt, can't we? The patron live stream. That was really good. So we do a live stream. We just invite the patrons and then we release the audio completely uncut from that live stream to the patron-only ad-free RSS feed. But we had loads of live callers. We had maybe 10 patrons as part of that call. Uh, That was great. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And I love doing those. I love doing those shows, uh, especially because they're casual and we can talk yeah. about stuff and get into some weeds that we normally don't get into yeah, on yeah. the regular we, we, shows. We should warn that it's not premium content because we do go off on tangents. Uh, we were talking about like weight loss. We were talking about like pub experiences. So it was all sorts. So if you fancy like a more casual environment to uh, interact with me and Matt, that might be for you. I'm just going to ask a quick question because I wasn't paying attention because I was finishing up com- comment of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the not next week, uh, April 30th through May 2nd, that is Portimao on the calendar. Okay, good. Yes, I said that. Okay, I, I didn't quite hear, so just double checking. Okay, well, follow Matt for more incoherent rantings at MattPT55. Jules, are you on the uh, internets with Twitter and stuff? Yeah, you can uh, find me on Twitter uh, on just my uh, first name and my uh, surname. At Jules Sagers. At Jules Sagers. Kyle yep. is at kyle power f1 on twitter as well and you can say you should post some pictures of why you seem to have given up on any kind of hair trimming uh i'm just i'm going for as long as i can i'm starting to go a bit thin on top so i'm going to grow it long and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take my chances by cutting it off and not being able to regrow it again so it's just it's just gonna grow long and wild why not you hang in there bud that's great you follow kyle at Kyle Power F1. You can follow the show at Mist Apex F1. You can contact me, spanners at mistapex.net on email or Matt, Matt at mistapex.net as well. Please consider supporting us, patreon.com forward slash mistapex. Until we see you next, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mist Apex Podcast. Oh no, I didn't say follow me, but it's too late because now it's. No! Fortunately, I've got this ever-so-subtle post-show bit where I can say, follow me, at Spanners Ready. There we go. Oh, follow Matt's wife as well, at A. Weaver Writes. And you two are both jabbed up. You're immune to the plague now, both of you, as a family. It's just your stupid daughter that can still get coronavirus. I bet you're like... She's she's done. What? Oh, my God, none of us are done. As soon as two weeks from today, we're 100% as safe as we're going to get. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.